Good morning. First service, I was trying to align the podium here, and I had it a little off kilter, and I could tell it was bothering people. Does this bother you if I leave it a little? Can you imagine the whole service slightly like that? I uh, uh, saw a lot of new faces this morning, and uh, so if you're new especially, I uh, want to ask a favor of you. If you would take your bulletin, there's a zip strip here, what we call the zip strip, uh, where you can uh, just put your name and your information on that. That would be a real gift to us, just to let us know that you're here, who you are. Uh, we need to have a sense of who this congregation is. And, and when new people come, we want to meet you. We want to welcome you. And if you have questions, this is a place you can communicate with us. You can put down your prayer requests. And I, and I want to assure you, those get prayed for by the leadership of the church, the pastors, uh, the elders and the deacons pray for those and others as well. So if you want to share that and want to have something prayed for, please include it there. Uh, for those of you who attend regularly, of course, you do this every week because you know you're supposed to do this, right? Every week without fail. All right, just checking. Um, and if you are new, I want to just draw your attention to the back uh, at, the, at the very top of this page. Uh, the purpose of our church is listed right there. If you're looking to make this your church home or you're questioning that or curious about it we want you to know what we're about as a church it says here that our purpose is to lead people to a growing relationship with jesus christ and and if you don't know christ and you're just exploring and you're investigating that's great and we're glad you're here and we want to hopefully uh, show you who jesus is and show you that he is a good and kind and loving savior uh, who died for you and for your sins that you might have relationship with him and that may be your step of growth Maybe you've been coming for 20 or 30 years. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. Guess what? You're not done yet. You're still supposed to grow in Christ's likeness. That is the divine agenda for the rest of our lives. So at every stage of the journey, we're here to help you to grow and to become like Jesus. That's what we're about as a church. So I just want to draw your attention uh, to that. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 15 this morning, uh, starting at verse 22. Before we get there, let's pray. Uh, again, and ask the Lord to continue to lead us in our worship service as we worship Him through studying His Word together. So let's pray. Father, it's very humbling uh, to sit here in a room of believers and to declare together Your holiness. Because if our hearts are in that at all, and if our minds and our imagination are reflecting on that truth, And we are comprehending with any degree of accuracy what your holiness really means and entails. Then, then, Lord, we ought to just be brought to our knees. Because we are not holy. And we are very aware of our own sin. And yet, it also should drive us to just gratitude and thankfulness. Because... Of your son Jesus Christ. Who is our righteousness. Who has taken our sin and. Allowed it to be killed in him. And then raised to new life. That we might be restored to the father. So when we sing of your holiness. We're humbled on one hand. And we rejoice on the other. So we say thank you. Because we didn't deserve it. Thank you for rescuing us. God as we study your word. I pray that it would have a powerful work within us, Lord, that we would lay our hearts open and we would be willing to learn and to be taught 
And not just to put information in our head, but to transfer it into the substance of our life so that we would become like our Savior, Jesus. Um, So help us to study well now. Uh, Give us attention and um, give us a heart to learn. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we've been going through the book of Exodus now for about four months. And uh, when you, one of the risks that we run into whenever we're doing uh, a book that is uh, you know, a long series, such as the book of Exodus, is it's really easy to lose the forest for the trees. You know what I mean? Uh, if you've ever done uh, kind of a long read or something like that, and you're grinding away, and you can get to the point where you think, man, what is this book even about? What are we doing here? And so I just want to back up. Uh, this morning and just kind of remind us of the big picture of the book, who it's written to, what it's about, just to kind of anchor us in the in the sweep of the story so that we remember how this all fits uh, together. Uh, when, if you remember when we started the book, I identified that there were two themes, uh, two prominent themes in the book, and they each started with the letter R. And of course you remember them, right? Anybody? You remember them? no, no, no. Redemption. What was the other one? Revelation. I think I heard it. Redemption and Revelation. The first half of the book, the first 18 chapters, is all about uh, the redemption of God. God rescuing Israel from Egyptian slavery. And we've, we've been through the majority of that now. And then the second half of the book is about revelation from God. It's God disclosing who he is to his people. It's him disclosing his law which had, which, with which he had good intentions for them. And so it's, it's God disclosing and revealing himself to his people. And so we're, we're kind of at that point where we're beginning to transition into the second half of that book. Even though we're in chapter 15, we can kind of see how it starts to shift from the rescue to uh, the revelation part. Uh, where God begins to reveal and develop the relationship that he wants with Israel. And again, all of this is keeping with that larger umbrella, the Abrahamic covenant, where God promised to Abraham, right, a people, a land, and a blessing, that threefold promise. And so here it is. It's all unfolding as God had promised to Abraham back in Genesis 12 and 15. And so again, the first part is about his rescue. The second part is about how God is equipping his people for relationship with himself. How many teachers do we have in the room here this morning? Do we have, anybody? Actually, let me say this. Anybody in education? Let's 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 broaden that out. See, the same thing happened first service. The hands are about up shoulder high because they're like, man, we're, it's summer. I can't be burdened to raise my hand all the way up. Same thing. Interesting. Um, you educators know, and probably most people in the room know, that there there is commonly discussed different kinds of learning styles. Have you heard of this before? In fact, it's it usually identified as four primary learning styles. One of them is um, auditory, right? Which is you, you learn by hearing. You, you learn from lectures. You learn from sermons. That's, that's the way you learn, and, and that works fine. Some of you, it's visual. You know, quit talking at me. Give me an object lesson. Show me a picture, a graph, a chart, a map, anything. Please show me something, right? And that's the visuals. And then a third type is the reading, writing, right? Somehow interacting uh, with the text in a book as you read along or, or summarizing or synthesizing what's there in the act of writing. That helps you understand. For others of you, it, it's this, this fourth one, which is kinesthetic. That's the, that's the hands-on 
kind of thing where you're interacting with something, you're engaging it, and and you're learning through exploration. This is like 80% of Alaskan men right here. You know, these are the guys. They go out into the shop, and their hands do something constructive. My hands do something destructive. I always break what I'm trying to work on. Um, But that's sort of the the fourth type. And good teachers, we know, will employ as many of these different learning styles as they can, as, as they can teach to help their audience assimilate the information. And as we pick up in Exodus 15, we see that God is using a variety of learning styles here and a variety of curriculum, if you will, to communicate to his people, to teach Israel about who he is and, and what kind of relationship he wants with them. And he uses all of these different learning styles here. Uh, we, we've seen that sort of during the journey from, from the sea, when they cross the sea, uh, now down to Sinai, we find that Israel is on a spiritual high. Okay? God's rescued them out of Egypt. He's parted the sea. He brought them safely through. He destroyed their enemy. They've seen the power of his hand through miraculous things that he can do, uh, just as he promised. And they, in turn, begin a relationship of worship with him. And last week, uh, Pastor Mark led you through chapter 15, where we saw Israel's first worship service. Right? Where Moses and Miriam lead the people in song and in worship, praising God for who he is and for what he's done. And so that's kind of the context. That's, that's where we are. What we have here is an is a, is a infant nation of rookie worshipers who are just learning how to live in relationship with God who has rescued them from Egypt. And that's, that's where we're at. Now, at this point in the whole story, you would think, okay, this is the time where Israel, I mean, God ought to take them northeast and right back to the promised land, right? Back on course. We, we've conquered the Egyptian army that was pursuing them. We've, we've already flanked the, the Philistines who were pot- a potential risk. On to the promised land. Let's go. And what we find here, actually, is that God has something more in mind for them than just a new destination. And what he has in mind for them is relationship. He's not freed them just to be free. God has freed Israel so that they might worship him and follow him and live in relationship with him. Uh, And so what we find in this chapter is the curriculum that God uses to teach them about a proper relationship with himself. And that the tool that he uses, the curriculum that he uses here is this. It's testing. He tests them. And if you have test anxiety in school, you know, tests would come up and you just think, oh, no, it's not going to reveal what I know. God uses testing as a primary tool to develop relationship with Israel. Let me show that to you. Look at verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. They came to Marah. They could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. First thing that we we learn and we can extrapolate from this, that God tests us with difficulties. 
Whether we like it or not, whether we want that to be the case, what we learn from this passage is that difficulties and troubles and adversity are all tools in God's bag to develop relationship with him. He, he tests us. They're part of his curriculum and part of his training, and it is, it is for developing relationship. And we've already seen this lots of way in Israel's life as he took them the harder way and continually took them to the point of dependence upon him. He tested them, and he's going to keep at it here. Uh, we're told that they went from uh, the sea to the desert of Shur and that they were three days with no water. Uh, what does that indicate to you? This is, a, this is potentially life and death situation, right? You can go three minutes without air, uh, three days without water, and three weeks without food is sort of the, the common uh, explanation of things. So maybe they've taken some with them. I, you know, I don't, I don't know. But in any case, they're at day three, and they don't have water for the future. So they're not just really, really thirsty. But, but they're, they're in jeopardy here. Uh, I want to, I got to ask anybody ever been really, really thirsty? Like you thought you were in danger, that kind of situation. As I was trying to think in my life, if I had ever been at this point, the closest thing I ever came up to was, um, in high school, uh, I had an emergency appendectomy and I remember in the recovery room, uh, coming to, and, uh, I remember laying there and all of a sudden I heard all of these, uh, this beeping and these sirens going off in the, in the room. And I was barely coherent. And the nurse in the room said, breathe, Eric. And I thought, breathe, you know, what, what did you guys do to me? I was here for an appendix. What am I missing? You know? And so I thought, all right, I'll breathe. And, and then she said, do you need anything? And I was incredibly cold, which sounds really good right now, but I was cold. And, um, and I said, I would love a blanket. So she brings over this blanket, which somehow had been warmed. I don't know, but it was incredible. And then she said, do you need anything else? And I said, I'm so thirsty. If anybody's ever been in a recovery room after surgery, you know what I'm talking about. You're just like, I, I can't even make my mouth work right now. And so this horrible nurse, <laughs> horrible nurse, comes over with a dollop of Vaseline and just, whip, just drops it on my mouth and then sort of smears it around. So I was just like, what is this? You know? This is worse. And I, and I don't even have all of my faculties to like get it clear or whatever. This is nasty. And I remember hours later, and I, I couldn't drink for hours. So, you know, once I was becoming more and more alert, finally, this kind nurse <laughs> brought me a cup of ice chips. And I have never in my life experienced the sensation where water tasted sweet. But that time it did. I don't know if you've ever had that before. But this is where Israel is. Three days journeying in the desert, completely exposed, no shelter. They're walking. They're exerting themselves. They've not found water. They're on the edge. Not only of comfort, but of existence. And you can imagine the, the feelings that they're, they're going through here. And with that in mind, I want to I ask you this. Why does God test them this way? What are tests all about? And before we get too far into this, I need to distinguish something here. The difference between tests and temptation. Okay? Testing, we learned this in James chapter 1 several months back as we went through that particular book. But testing is intended to develop us. 
temptation is intended to destroy us. Okay, we're told in the scriptures that God does not tempt us. That's not his purpose for us at all. He doesn't want to destroy us. He doesn't want us to fail. But he does test us, which is different. And he tests us in order to develop and to encourage our faith. Now, I want to stop for just a second and identify what may be some possible tests in your life, some things that God may be doing with you, just uh, as hypotheticals or or maybe they're a reality for you. Um, Your work situation. Maybe you work in a place and there's a a lot of uh, non-believers around you and it is just a difficult place to work. You're a Christian and you're trying to live out a Christian witness, but everything around you is just the opposite of that. And it's very, very difficult and it's stressful. And and you might sit there and think, Lord, why are you testing me this way? Why are you making it so hard? Why can't I have just a better work environment? And it may be that God is testing you specifically so that you can have a Christian witness that is in distinction with the rest of what you find in in your work world. Maybe you're single. And for years now, you have been wanting to marry. It's been on your heart. It's your primary heart's desire. It's what you pray about. It's what you think about. It's what you journal about. And maybe God has you waiting because he wants to make sure that he is the primary object of your affection and that no one else would supplant him. Maybe it's your prayer life. There's something you've been wrestling with the Lord in for prayer for a long time. You don't feel like God's hearing you. You don't feel like you're getting answers. You don't feel like you're hearing anything from him. You're not seeing any resolution. And you're wrestling and you're wrestling and you think, you know, what in the world? This feels like an exercise in futility. It's just flat. My prayers are hitting the ceiling. And it may be once again that God has you striving in prayer, desiring relationship with him rather than just just experiencing all of the sweetness. Maybe he's just continuing to draw you to see if that's really your heart's desire. Do you want him or do you want the stuff that he brings? And maybe God's trying to distinguish that in your life. The the Hebrew word for test is nasa, and it means to be proved or to be trained. And I believe that testing is a very formative thing that, uh, that God does. Let me show it to you this way. God tests us to reveal our hearts. God tests us to reveal our hearts. And let me clarify this. God doesn't test us so that he can learn the condition of our hearts. Okay? He knows it already. He knows it better than than we do. It's not an exercise in discovery for God. He already knows. Um, But God may be surfacing our true heart condition and revealing it and exposing it to us. I think testing is a way that God takes a mirror and holds it right up to us and says, this is the condition of your heart. Do you see yourself as I know you to be? Because this is the real you. This is the you that comes out when the testing comes. So I believe God tests us to reveal our hearts. Uh, Secondly, I believe that God tests us to build our faith. As I've already said, there is a there's a formative purpose in it. And unfortunately, I think our tendency is to try to get out of tests and adversity and difficulty as quickly as possible, right? You only have to look at the pain medication aisle at the grocery store to know that that's the case because it's about 12 feet long, right? We, we like to get out as, as quickly as possible. And I think sometimes 
our desire to get out quickly ends up robbing us of the benefit of the test that, that God brought them in our lives. And I think one of the things that we need to do is we need to go through tests like students and not like victims. We need to be willing to learn from them and, and let them accomplish the purpose for which God sent them. I love what Eugene Peterson says about trials. He says this, Don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so that you may become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Let me, let me illustrate it a different way. Think about the way our medical industry is inclined to use antibiotics. Right? You're, you're sick, and the quick remedy is, well, if you're, if you're feeling poorly and you're still feeling poorly, go get the anti- antibiotic, right? And, and, and I don't, actually, I don't want to just fault the medical industry because plenty of people just come for medical help, and that's all that they really want. Just give me the prescription. And, um, and I'm, I'm not saying that medicine is wrong. Please don't hear that at all. But what we, what we end up doing when we overuse antibiotics, what happens to our body? It weakens in its ability to fight off infection. It actually weakens. And what happens to the illness? It strengthens. It becomes more resilient for the next person. And, and I think we often do that kind of thing in our, in our spiritual lives. When God is bringing a test into our life that we might be a student, that we might learn from it. And sometimes I think we push away too quickly, just looking for relief, and we miss the lesson. So we need to be students. We need to accept tests and trials and adversity and understand that they are part of God's curriculum. And they have a formative, they have a formative role in our life to equip us for right relationship with God. Thirdly, uh, God tests us to show us that he wants to be our provider. And it's funny because this is almost in direct contradiction to sort of the American dream that we would all be self-sufficient, right? And uh, stand on our own two feet. Well, that's okay, but we need to understand that um, God's given us those two feet. <laughs> He's behind us. So I want you to consider this for a second. Think about Israel. They're, they're coming through the desert. They're journeying through. They're thirsty as all get out. They're near death. Discomfort is at its peak. And here is this spring of water. Ah, relief is in sight. Only to go up to it and to taste it and to understand that it's bitter and brackish and something that that they cannot drink. Think about this for a moment. It, it is no small thing for the God who parted the sea to place water wherever he wants it, right? For, for the God who spoke it to an existence... He, he could make this the clearest, sweetest, most drinkable water and put it exactly where Israel needed it, when they needed it. And what God put in their path was a bitter spring. This isn't incidental. This is God specifically uh, taking them to a place where they had hope and then despair and then drawing them back to himself and then resolving this in such a way that they could see that it was absolutely from his hand and from nothing else. And it's so easy to see as we as we look at Israel's experience that God provided for them and that even the test itself was to provide for them in, in this relational development. But it's very difficult for us to see when it's going on in our life, right? When the test is there and we say, Lord, I, I just want out. Just, just give me relief. That's all I want. Instead, we need to say, Lord, give me the lesson and teach me what you want me to know. Look at verse 26 with me. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes 
If you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Now, I want to give you just a quick overview uh, about this, this these two verses, because I think these verses are very, very often misunderstood and and misapplied. Uh, they are not primarily about uh, the physical health of Israel. What they are teaching Israel and teaching us here is about God's posture towards his people. That's what they're primarily about. And let me let me show this to you. Remember that Israel was primarily freed. They were freed. Uh, they were freed to follow the Lord. They weren't free just for freedom's sake. And this was told to us in chapter six, verses six through eight, where God said, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. And I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. And so what we're seeing here in verses 26 and 27 is a clarification of the relationship that God has with his people. When God says, I am the God who heals you. This isn't a timeless guarantee that you'll have no physical difficulties in life. It's not immunity from illness. It's not a promise that there'll never be any health issues. Uh, And unfortunately, many people today have ripped this passage right out of its context and have applied it to uh, to say things that it didn't say. Some of the ways we'll see this misused is they'll tell us that if you got sick, it must be because there's sin in your life. That happened even in the New Testament. Or they'll say, if you do get sick, don't seek medical intervention. It must be a spiritual issue, so you need to turn to the Lord. You know what? People have died because of that thinking. It is absolutely a distortion of the text. It is not what this is teaching. It is a byproduct of the prosperity gospel that says God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. And I don't find that in the scriptures at all. I find that God brings difficulty and adversity to his people so they will find a greater treasure of relationship with him and peace with him. They will find God and not just the stuff. And we have to read this in context. And there's one thing that I hope you guys learn from me in my ministry here over the years is that good Bible reading is always done in context. Okay? Who is this book written to? It's written to a group of rookie worshipers We're just getting to know their God. And they're struggling to answer some basic and formative questions. One of those, which is, can we trust him? Can we trust Yahweh? Now, you think at this point they've seen enough of his power and and his deliverance that they would be willing to, but they're still learning it. And God is using these series of tests to show him his posture and his goodwill towards them. Israel, we remember, has been freed from one cruel master, And they're now free to serve a kind master, but they're trying to figure out if that is, in fact, his nature. Um, When I was a young boy, uh, our family uh, got uh, a dog, a cocker spaniel named Dusty. Anybody ever had a cocker spaniel? They're horrible dogs. (laughs) Uh, 
they're, they're, they're nice, but um, the problem with them is they're, they're, they're healthy for about five years, and then they're sick for about ten. That was our experience anyways. But we got this dog, and, um, and we loved him. And he was a beautiful dog. He had a red coat and a white afro, and he had white freckles over his nose. So he really fit the family, you know, red-haired, freckle face. I mean, just, like, belonged to us, you know. It was great. And when we first got him and we brought him home, you know, the kids, of course, we just loved him and we wanted to dote on him. And so you walk over, especially with this white fuzzy afro, and the first thing you want to do is just scrub that thing. And I remember reaching out to pet him, and Dusty closed his eyes and, and cowered back. And I thought, what? I don't understand that. So I asked my dad, why is he doing that? And we quickly learned that this dog uh, had been abused by the other family. And, um, and it didn't know if we were going to pet it and love it or if we were going to beat it. Israel's in the same, po- in the same place. They've been abused. They've been afflicted uh, by Egypt. And here God has rescued them and he's rescued them to follow him, but they don't know. Can they trust this God? They know that he's strong, but can they trust them? And so we find God curing them of their trust issues. And so through this wilderness journey, we find basically a series of tests, which, as I've said, is the curriculum for building trust for Israel. Um, the first incident here, the, the testing and the water at Marah, shows them that he's not only delivered them from slavery, but he's delivered them for relationship. And, and he wants to show them who he is, his heart's inclination towards them, that he wants to provide for them, and that he is a good and a kind God. I want to stop and ask you a question here. Some of you are here this morning, and uh, you're wondering about God. Uh, you don't know if you really want relationship with him or not. Maybe you think of God and you think of just rules and regulations and you think that's what characterizes the scriptures. You think of God as one who is sort of a cosmic killjoy and he's just trying to um, snuff the life out of everything. And I want to tell you, the scripture says, boy, just the opposite. Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And I, and I just want to encourage you this morning, if you're here and you're just exploring the claims of the Christian faith and you're wondering about the God of the Bible and you want to know if he is in fact trustworthy, what we find in the scriptures is that he absolutely is and that he has provided every need for us, most supremely in his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, we read the story of the exodus of um, of the Exodus as, as Israel is, is coming out of Egypt. But boy, it is a parallel It is a parallel to the Christian story that we have been rescued from our slavery to sin and the bondage that we were in. And what we find is that God has provided for us and he has redeemed us as his own people through Jesus Christ. I've got a lot more notes here and it is time to end. <laughs> We're going to call this part one, and next week we're going, to look at, we're going to look at some of the other ways God provides for his people. But I want to encourage you this, with this. If you don't know Jesus, you need him. And if you would have the courage to place your faith in him, you will find a good and kind Savior who frees you from your sin 
and restores you to rightful relationship with him. And I want that for you more than anything. So let's pray together. Lord, I believe on every page of Scripture we find an arrow that is pointing to Christ in one way or another. Um, And God, as we look at Israel's experience here, recovering from their trust issues and and wondering if you are, in fact, a good God, um, they find in time that you are as you provide for them again and again. Even as you bring adversity, we find that it was for good. You were, you were testing them to develop their trust in you. God, may, may we be good students of the tests that come into our life. May we see them as from your hand. May we accept and learn the lesson uh, that you intended by them. May we come to know you as a trustworthy God. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you as Savior, I pray that this would be their day. Um, would you give them the courage to ask the question that they need to? Lord, to make that final decision to cross the line of faith. So thank you, Lord, for your word. Continue to draw us to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.